0: just because I felt like I was Mm -hmm. doing, I was watching, I was acting, I was observing, and then I just totally (laughs) blurred the lines between life and work in a way that I had never done before.
1: (laughs) You're listening to the Can't Sell This podcast, dedicated to projects past that never saw the light of day, with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. you. Stefan. Boy oh boy it is my turn to be super excited about a call. No it's I'm true, very it's happy true. to uh, bring in uh, a guest who goes by the name of Hannah Donegan. Hi. Hi <laughs> Hannah. I've, I've known Hannah for a few years now and um, she's one of the guests that I've been wanting to bring on to talk about her projects plural uh, but uh, Hannah why don't you tell our listeners who you are.
0: Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I'm Hannah and I am a filmmaker. I'm a director and a producer. I work with a company called Fathom Film Group in Toronto. Um, And we've been making documentaries since 2012. I, the first documentary that I made, rather the first documentary that I directed was called Sugar Sisters. And it was all about me and my two younger sisters attempting to find a sugar daddy. So the reason I say made is just because I felt like it was a bit of a no going back uh, zone. And since then, um, Mm -hmm. I have directed a few (laughs) other documentaries, produced many other documentaries um, and working on, you know, different assets of my own creative practice. So that's the skinny. And I'm <laughs> cool, just really cool. happy to be here chatting with you guys about creativity and process. I love process.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that, uh, I mean, when I heard about uh, Sugar Sisters, uh, I, was, I was really intrigued, uh, not just in the story itself. I think that this is the part of that project that was so amazing, that it was the story itself, the story that you're telling and uh, the exploration of this world of, of, of sugar daddies and sugar babies, but also um, speaking from a, a point of view of process, the fact that creating this documentary, like you just said yourself, took over um, uh, your life. Like it blurred the lines between the, the actual uh, creation that you were making and the life that you were living.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've stopped knowing what was my life and what was the life that I was choosing to present on camera. And I think that was okay, but the hardest part was then trying to look at your own life through this objective lens of Mm. someone else, like trying to edit a time in your life and trying to think about your you know last year in terms of story beats and then trying to structure those in a film and you know anyone who's made a film and been through the editing process knows that you go through sort of one edit and then something's not working and you kind of pull it way back and you end up in another direction and you could do that as many times as you want until you land on the story that feels right Uh, and it was a really interesting to separate how i felt about a situation and how i felt like i was existing in it versus how the story was flowing through that year of my life and they didn't always add up if you will they didn't always connect
1: <laughs> yeah so that so this was a full year documentary process where you would just yes yeah,
0: so my original intention was to sort of spend uh, a year well it was more like nine to 11 months trying to find a sugar daddy and and trying to sort of chase a bit of a a rabbit down a hole if you will Um, and it felt like a mythical thing you know is this something you could actually do is just find someone who's willing to support you and pay for your lifestyle in exchange for you know, companionship and, and everyone I had talked to who had done it had all of these super luxurious sounding stories. They had all these idealistic scenarios that I was like, I want that. I mean, this in my life. <laughs> and it can it be that easy. Can, is, it, is it as simple as doing some online dating, picking the one you, you want to partner with and just letting them sort of make your life Richer, practically speaking, you know. <laughs> uh, and when I told my sisters that I was going to do this, um, I love my sisters so much, and we are so close, and we are so alike. Uh, and they were right away like, "Oh, we got to do this too." And so the three of us just kind of like uh, went balls to the wall and tried to find a sugar daddy. And then you know what I uncovered is that it's a surprise like a lot, like building any relationship and if you were to sort of head out into the world and say, I am going to find someone that I want to be in a long-term relationship with in T minus two months. And then I'm going to hit these story beats along the way that never happens, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the right. reality of the, of the worlds that sort of sugar date babies and sugar daddies exist in um, was, you know, a lot more, it wasn't as easy to navigate, I think is the right word. It wasn't as easy to integrate myself into uh, because I think my desires for what they were offering versus my desire for what they wanted was not aligning uh, as mm. much as I hoped. Um, and that's to say the rational part of my brain was like, I can entertain uh someone who wants to be entertained. I can have dinners with people. I can talk to people. I love talking to people. I can, you know, be glamorous and be sexy. I can, you know, even build towards a sexual relationship with someone if that's, if it makes sense for us. Like these are all practical things that I know I can do and I'm capable of. But what I was getting on the other side was people who didn't ask me any questions, people who didn't really care about who I was and who I am, people who had a lot of needs, but they didn't have um, any time or effort or energy or even desire to put in the work that needs to be put in to actually build a relationship right which is the reciprocity
2: right the reciprocity of a relationship they're not interested in that because they're sort of paying for it right like is that exactly
0: (laughs) so they they are paying for it instead of putting in the work for it and i remember when i kind of realized that i was i was not going to find someone that i like because I like people who ask me questions as much as right. I ask them questions. Um, and yeah, the sort of then having to like reimagine how I'm going to put together a film and how I'm going to sort of keep exploring this world in a way, knowing that there's, there's, yeah, I guess I also found out through the process that I don't like money and, and stuff as much as I thought I did because <laughs> I thought it was totally worthwhile. And then I was like, oh no,
2: no I like You my want money. that realization, you should start a podcast.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I work in documentary film.
1: Yeah, so you probably know. Not the industry for money lovers. Yeah. What was the, uh, you know, your the expectation? So, so what is it sort of like the myth of, the, the sugar daddy sugar baby relationship that you sort of saw before you got into this project uh, and that you thought would be the story that you would be then telling? Like, what was it that your friends were telling you or that the people were telling you about these, like you said, these lifestyles that they were able to have and this sort of like lavishness of, and, and richness of their lives.
0: Well, I heard lots of great stories. I remember one, story that i just thought was the perfect scenario for me it was someone who um she'd had many sugar daddies and there was one person who um i they were a journalist of some sort or a critic and their job was to watch a lot of tv and movies and they didn't want to have a sexual relationship with someone i think that they might have uh I don't exact. I mean, I don't know. I could speculate till the cows come home. But they all they <laughs> wanted was someone to watch all of the content that they had to watch all day long with them. They wanted they wanted to have companionship, and they were not looking for anything sexual. They just wanted to sit on the couch and cuddle and watch TV. And she made five hundred bucks a day doing that with him for just a couple of hours, you know. And he, she thought he was so nice, and he would tell her you know, all these nice things about herself and they would have this sort of very sweet relationship and he paid for it, you know? And I thought that that was just, to me, the most perfect ideal. But I had heard tons of stories like this of people who, they just want dinner dates and they just want this and they just want that. So you don't have to commit to this idea of sleeping with someone, um, in order to get paid within this sort of like, Subset of the sex world, sex work world, um, like I just didn't think that I had the balls to sort of like meet up with someone and sleep with them and get paid for that. I, I, I felt like if we could have these fancy dinner dates and, you know, they would just fly me to somewhere in the Caribbean and then we would hang out on their yacht for a week <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, I would just feel so much better about my life. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, all of those are stories that I had heard from people. And even yeah. like one of my sisters in the film while we were shooting, she she started dating this guy who was a screenwriter. And she went on this date with him when she sort of understood, when everything clicked for her. But she always felt like she didn't understand their relationship. He would just want her to come to dinner with her. And then he, they would just have this weird dinner. And, and then it was over. And, and she felt like he didn't want to see her anymore and they had to part ways and she she didn't think that they had very good conversations and so she didn't she didn't really get why they were um, meeting up and then they were at this dinner in Yorkville somewhere so a fancy restaurant in a fancy neighborhood and they were sitting there and two people came in and he got up from the table and went over and talked to them and he introduced my sister to them and he he turned just such a chatty guy and he was pitching his Hmm. film at them that he'd written and she got eventually that they were probably producers or or directors someone that she you know he wanted them to make his film and she was just there to facilitate this very specific moment between him and and whoever he was trying to do business with and that was that and he never saw her again He, (laughs) he had what he needed from her um And I was like, that's not really that bad. She got paid, I think, a hundred bucks each time they met up and it was just dinner, you know, she didn't have a job at the time. So for her, that was pretty good.
1: (laughs) So you have these stories, there is this, um, there is this sort of lifestyle that you can have, but you did mention something earlier where you said, um, you thought that you would want to have some of these things. And then when you went through the process, you realized that, um, you valued your time more. And I find that interesting. So you mentioned how uh, you thought that this might be a a means to support your other creative work, that this would be kind of like the replacement of a part-time job Uh, and that it would be, oh, well, this is my me time, but I'm now being paid for it because I'm, I'm, I'm providing companionship to someone else to now you're mentioning that, you valued your time. So I'm interested in, was there all of a sudden this realization that, that uh, your, your time was being used up more than you thought it would be?
0: Oh, totally. And I'd never had considered what I was worth before that, monetarily, you know? Like I know I'm worth the world, but how much am I worth for a dinner date? And how much am I worth for a whole evening? And how much am I worth for a trip to New York? Um, I'd I'd never really calculated my time in that sense. And at the time I I had a waitressing job and had a waitressing job, you're worth 20% of the total bill if you're good and nothing if you're bad, right? You understand how, when you, you know, put on the performance and, and do a good job, then people will tip you properly. But this, it was a little bit, it felt different. I had to re-examine what my time was worth and I had to think about how much time it took before and after our meeting, how much of my emotional energy it took. And I just felt that it was not (laughs) worth my time personally, you know, Hmm. and this was, I, I'd only done it for, you know, in the scheme of things, a short stint. Like if you find someone who is worth your time, then, the value doesn't, you're not calculating the minutes versus the dollar. But I, I eventually got to a place where I was like, well, I'm not going to meet anyone unless they're willing to pay me at least hundred dollars, because that is, it's <laughs> not worthwhile if, if I don't. Um, but even then I, I was starting to feel like it's just not worth it. And I thought, you know, I would meet someone who would get fun to film for me and, and make a, a big spark in my world like that. But the reality is, is it was just sort of cheap therapy for
2: people or. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder so, yeah.
2: the, the comparison between the decision to pursue the sugar dating thing versus I really want to be a filmmaker. Was there a, a, a slow progression where you realized that you didn't need the sugar dating thing and, and you just went, you know what, I don't need to do this. I can be a filmmaker because I am a filmmaker
0: well the irony of the whole thing is is i was making a film the whole time i know that's what i mean
2: (laughs) was there a point when you just went you know what i don't need to do like this part of the film is done this is the realization that i don't need to do this i'm gonna make the film that i intended to make you know
0: well sort of it kind of got to a point i kept sticking with it because i was trying to make this film so it was thinking you would hit
2: those story notes those beats
0: yeah and thinking i would get something big i kept thinking i would be able to like really get as deep as i was hoping to get Mm -hmm. and i did i mean i i the relationship that is sort of in the film for the most part for the biggest relationship in the film was someone that i met in new york and he was a really nice person and and i was happy with the time that we spent together but this sort of, I don't know, like a long distance relationship, let alone a long distance relationship where someone's going to pay you just to come for a weekend to New York. Mm. And it's not going to be like when you go on vacation, it's going to be a little bit more like when you go on a work trip. (laughs) Right. It just that, yeah, I just felt like this is a dead end road for me and it's a time sucker and it's an emotion sucker. And I know what I want out of this. So there was a point in the filmmaking process where I could feel the shift inside of me for sure, where I was not, I wasn't pulling at at threads, hoping that I, there was a sugar daddy on the other line. I was pulling at threads, trying to figure out how to get a good film out of this.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, and that's when, what I was wondering, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, when, when we stopped filming, I, I sort of never looked back and I haven't even thought that it's a way out, whereas, Before I started filming, I thought, you know, if shit hits the fan and I get fired from my job and I lose a bunch of money because I've sunk it into a movie or something, I can always find a sugar daddy. There will be somewhere out there. There's someone who will create a a sort of landing pad for me. Whereas now on this side of things, I'm like, oh, that does not exist for me. You know, I have to be (laughs) the one who makes all my own money because... There's not a fiber inside of me that is going to be able to put up with that in the long term. You know, I can yeah. do a date or a weekend here and there, but I just. I it's not know. the
2: landing pad, it's the flight that you have to take to get to the mm-hmm. landing pad. That's mm-hmm. the problem, obviously, you know? Very
0: much so. And yeah, you know, every time you make a film, a documentary film, whoever the film is about ends up going through an intense amount of therapy over the course of the filmmaking process, because you're Mm -hmm. asking them questions. You want to know why they're doing this. You want to understand everything a little bit deeper. And for a lot of people, they don't talk about it and they don't have to explore these concepts and ideas um, unless they're in an intense amount of therapy. A lot of people live through something or, uh, you know, go through a period of their life just doing and just acting. So I, I feel very connected to any subject I've filmed with since because I, I have a very nuanced understanding of what it means to be in this very specific filmmaking role, being a documentary film subject, and you are going through it. You are asking yourself, all the tough questions mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't just do I had to every step of the way ask myself why why are you doing this and the more I asked yeah. myself the more I was like I don't know why would I do this you know?
2: <laughs> well Stefan and I had a discussion I, I attempted to make a documentary a long time ago and uh, you know I ended up getting invited to hot Docs, and I went to their director's party and I meeting all these directors reminded me just what a sham and shabby you know shadow of a director i was so it was like listening to you know the guy who directed we uh got trump you got trumped and the the woman who was doing the iranian boxing league women's boxing league excuse me underground boxing league everybody that makes a documentary film they fully believe in the subject of that film and that's where it's i think it's what makes it really different from a feature film or or you know something that is fiction a documentary filmmaker has has a lot of belief in their subject matter you know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i believed in the the myth of the sugar daddy and i don't want to call it a myth because it's not a myth a lot of people have really great sugar daddy sugar baby relationships that work really well for them but i sort of believed it as a as something that was just sitting right there and all you had to do was Go and yeah. grab it, you know. Like there's these online dating sites that it exists in. I was like, you just go on, and make a profile, and that's that. So,
2: mm-hmm. um, online so. dating is is incredibly easy, as everyone knows. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> even easier when you add money into it. Sure. So, yeah. can can I uh, just as a timeline from from the time that uh, when when was this release? When was Sugar Dating? Uh, that
0: was released in twenty. Sugar Sisters. Sister. Yeah, Sugar Sisters, the end of yeah. 2016. Is really
2: and, and how many documentaries since then have you produced and or directed?
0: Um, that's a good question. And I'm going to throw out the number five without actually counting, but... Um, that's,
2: that's a lot. That's a lot of documentaries. Mm-hmm. That's four years.
0: Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> if i don't if i don't uh, keep making things then i need to find a sugar daddy so it's, <laughs> started a new fire under my ass right <laughs>
2: that sounds that sounds almost familiar except for the sugar daddy part but I mean, yeah. Yeah, if, St- if Stefan would ever agree to it i would go on a date with him in a heartbeat you know? oh, <laughs> who wouldn't? i gotta get paid because <laughs> Stefan is interesting but <laughs> that's the problem um and so would you say in the past four years since did the, did the documentary sort of obviously would have helped your visibility within the filmmaking sphere? Um, is there any one in particular that you spoke to where you're like, man, I'll tell you like not, and not sugar daddies. I mean, like, since you released the film and it, it was on CBC firsthand, um, it, has there been a situation where you've been just like, man, I knew it. I knew this was going to work. I knew this was going to work. Or have you always been like, man, if I don't keep going, this is going to be a problem. Like.
0: That's a good question. I don't know if I've, I think I, I think I really believe in myself and I do think that's something that I feel very fortunate to have. I, you know, have imposter syndrome sometimes, and I have self-doubt, of course, but I don't think that there is any version of my life where I end up not being the sort of leader in Mm -hmm. my creative and career path. It just doesn't feel like a reality for me. And I have always believed that I'm a very capable human being, and I can just do whatever I want to do, it might take time to figure out how to do that. So it's always for me being about less about what's going to happen if I don't, and more about how to hone in on what I really do want to do. Because if I spread my intention too thin, then I'm going to end up with thin results. So it's about kind of you know, really getting everything nice and, and tight and focused so that I can feel really good about the direction I'm going in. Um, and that if at any point it stops feeling good, that I at least know that I have, the path that I'm on has a strong enough foundation that I can slightly pivot my path and, and keep going in a way that I feel like I am, I'm the leader. I'm the one who's forging this path. And, and no one else is doing it for me. So everything that I've done since feels like it's building on something. Everything that I did before Sugar Sisters also felt like it was building on something. And one thing that I'm really grateful about the Sugar Sisters project is I just got to take a lot of skills that I had learned and that I was honing and ready or not just use them, you know, and, and in that process, some of the skills that I was better at were, were really serving me and some of the skills that I wasn't really um, up to snuff on, I was able to, to sort of hone my craft. And, and even since I still look at it and, and think about all the lessons I've learned and things that I've done since that, you know, I wouldn't have done, same way if i hadn't have had that experience and a lot of it is just you know making mistakes too and just learning from your mistakes and moving forward but i i really feel that most people in the world can do whatever they want to do and it's just about making sure that they're the ones who are driving that for themselves if that makes sense (laughs)
1: One of the aspects I think of uh, the documentary filmmaking, because you're, you weren't the only subject of the, the film. I mean, you put yourself into it uh, for Sugar Sisters, but, um, but there were also the sugar daddies, right? They, they were going to become a part of your film. And obviously you would have had to have gotten some kind of buy-in from them. Uh, and before we touch on that, uh, I think that also that extends out to pretty much any situation where you are filming a documentary about a subject uh, who may have some issues or concerns about how they are being depicted in this film. Um, and so I, I just wanted you to maybe walk through a little bit of your process of of getting people's buy-in for Sugar Sisters or for one of your other projects.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sugar Sisters was really hard because it's such a secret and intimate relationship Mm -hmm. i mean by definition it's almost supposed to be a a secret you know no one walks into a restaurant and says this is my sugar date you know that's my date. um so none of the men agreed to be on camera with their face showing and with their voice as is so we did everything in our uh, power to blur them to shoot them really creatively so that it's still you didn't look like you were you know looking at someone face on and them being blurred but that we were you know shooting on long lenses with beautiful foreground that's strategically covering their faces um and, it, and changing their voice in posts so that they were not recognizable and no personal information nothing that would be a key identifier no mention of their job or where they grew up or what city they live in um, so that was, and it wasn't easy to do. I, the first date that I went on, I totally just had an undercover camera. I had a friend come film with me and I was like, you'd be at the end of the bar and just like film whatever you can get. Uh And I was so nervous the whole time. I was like, I'm wearing a wire, you know? <laughs> uh So I, I just, I was not comfortable. I was not happy. I was really stressed out and it, you know, it didn't last long because this guy was probably we were just meeting for one drink but he it's it just I I didn't feel good and I can't imagine that felt good for him so uh after that I realized I needed to be upfront with people and I needed to be my honest version of myself and mm-hmm. um and then some people you know agreed to go on a few dates and then they would see if if we can do some filming, or maybe they would do an interview here and there. So it was it was a lot of relationship building. And a lot of the time with hmm. your documentary subjects, it is a lot of relationship building. You're really getting into a relationship with people. Uh, they have to trust you, that you're not going to slander them, that you're not gonna misrepresent them. Um, if someone is giving you their story, that's even more trust and honor, yeah. that, sort of the asking of you and that you have to provide to them because our stories are so valuable to us. You know, there's few things that we have when you take away everything, we all still have our story. So when someone is, is given the opportunity to tell that story, you want to make sure that you're the right person. So getting buy-in from people when you're making a film about them, it's, a lot of conversations. It's, you, you take it from the beginning, you, um, have creative conversations and if they are open and they're into it, then they let you in, but not every situation ends up like that. So, Mm. you know, it's, it's part of the filmmaking process is finding a good story and then finding out if you are the person who can, who can tell that story.
1: Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to interview someone where um, y- you knew that you were trying to, you know, they were going to be cast in a, in a in, you know, a less favorable light in your documentary because of the story. So I, I, I can't think of, but, you know, something where there's a controversy mm-hmm. and you're interviewing someone. H- how, does, how does one go about getting those people to agree to be on camera?
0: Well... If you, I, I mean, I don't like to ever sort of show, I mean, you're always gonna show bias as a filmmaker, no matter what, but I try mm-hmm. not to um, poke fun at anybody. And there are people who have very controversial views and there are people who are not going to be aligned with the theme of the film. Um, And ultimately in certain situations, someone is gonna be a villain and someone is gonna be sort of poked fun at. And there's nothing you can really do as the filmmaker to assure them that that's not going to happen, except for, I mean, you can be honest about what you think your perspective is in the the process. Um, And, one thing that i always think is valuable no matter who you are is if you don't come on camera your perspective will not be felt so usually for if there's a mm-hmm. villain in a documentary they're often not the main character so if mm-hmm. if there's a situation where you're talking about a very sensitive subject matter and if you only have that one perspective the other side isn't going to be felt so you know they'll still mm-hmm. be that version of them will still probably be the villain we'll have this sort of vision of a bad guy
1: yeah like a nebulous um, sort of concept of the person rather yeah. than yeah okay and
0: it depends like for every documentary it truly depends on what we're talking about some they don't really have them any of that deep of a villain um but sometimes you you need people to uh share their perspectives so i'm mm-hmm. working on one about politics right now i i don't think i can talk too too much about it but there are people um it's about three different politicians who are on they have very different political leanings and they're in different countries and if there's someone who is opposed to them they are going to talk about them like that is the bad guy in their life and if you don't introduce the voice of who this person is they will still and always be the bad guy within the realm of this film but if we actually talk to someone on the other side we might be able to get a certain level of understanding there where they're coming from. And we might not, they might just dig themselves a, a deeper mm-hmm. hole. And mm-hmm. that is, I think, you know, up to them to try to present a compelling, compassionate argument. And if they don't, as the filmmaker, I don't really feel like I have an obligation to, to, give you more grace than you deserve. I think I have Mm -hmm. the obligation to tell your story and I think I have the obligation to share your perspective. Um, And I am never setting out to make fun of anyone uh, in the work that I do ever. So, you know, if you don't speak up, like no one's going to speak up for you. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I I guess that sort of approach of um, being very neutral and letting, letting the, the person, you know, tell their own story and then following up questions and seeing, you know, like you said, if they, if they either present their views in a way that might make sense or if they dig themselves a deeper hole. I just think back to um, a project that I worked on and got to review a lot of, of the interview footage and mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe some of the things that people said on camera. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Like I, I was, I was amazed. I was like, I don't even know how they got them in the room to talk, let alone got them to say those things. But I guess, uh, it, you know, if you give someone the opportunity, the soapbox to tell their story, they'll tell it. And if they believe they're right, and you believe as an audience member that they're wrong, then. Yeah. Um. So,
0: yeah I mean, every, a lot of people believe that they're right, no matter what mm-hmm. it is. So, I mean, we have, there's a big election tomorrow, I think, and we'll find out.
1: Yeah, some, maybe, maybe something <laughs> I going I on. heard tomorrow. something on the Wait, news. Yeah, an election. Yeah, where? That's strange. For our listeners, just uh, just so you know, we are recording this on the second of November, two thousand and twenty. So very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah,
2: where there's a definitive, there is no definitive villain. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <sighs> oh. so there's one more thing that I, I wanted i was really curious about and and we talked about you know your you know your personal struggles and your creative struggles and and you know your are um asking yourself why am i doing this and sort of like that internal uh um conflict but i, I can't imagine that th- that your 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 private life externally could have uh, emerged from uh some like putting yourself into this documentary uh, could have emerged unscathed, like there must have been some really tough times that you took on because you were devoted to this creative process and to telling this story. Yes,
0: I mean, I made my sister well I didn't make my sisters be in the film they definitely jumped (laughs) at the opportunity but then I made my partner be in the film Jocelyn and then I made my mom be in the film and I tried so hard to make my dad in the film but he flat out refused he uh he's I grew up in a very catholic family so my dad was like an Irish catholic too so it's Mm -hmm. very rule-based um and he was just like hell no uh so it was making this film, I, I knew that I was going to have to open up the very, like, intimate part of my life to the filmmaking process, and also just open up, you know, my mom to a part of my life that I was like, she does not, she does not, she would be much happier just not knowing, you know, (laughs) um, and, yeah, and my partner was, like, okay to be on camera but I also had to you know back to sort of storytelling I was like can can you be um, frustrated on camera today at all and she was like "Mm, I don't know if I can do that so I would try to film (laughs) creatively to help express some emotions I was trying to express get some footage and um, thankfully you know, my mom loves me still. And thankfully, like, I love my mm-hmm. sisters more than ever. I love them so freaking much. And um, my partner and I have been together for almost 10 years now. So we're, we're not going anywhere at this point. Nice. <laughs> um, and, then, and then after making the film, it went out on CBC. And so I had people across Canada talking about me on the internet, which was a really weird experience. And um, at the time, we were, you know, CBC's most, CBC Docs most social media about film. I know that's mm-hmm. not the technical word for it.
1: I like um, it. I think we should <laughs> social yeah, put media. put it in debout. one of
0: your, your textbooks. Most, <laughs> most
1: shared?
2: Most shared?
0: Well, shared and commented and it mm. ended up hotly debated. CBC Docs was like, wow, our socials blowing up. And I was just reading. <laughs> every little thing no
2: is, oh my god I know <laughs> and
0: I know that they say don't read it but
2: yeah, don't read the comments, knowing man. it's
0: there I could not yeah help myself um and so I just had a lot of people a lot of CBC viewers from all across the country debating my life and my value and my worth and my wow my annoying she Toronto got her sister's accent. involved. What
2: kind of person does that? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, No, they and totally I... wanted to do it. Sure. Sure. You know?
0: Oh yeah. just, you know, a lot of people thought that we just didn't seem desperate enough and that felt like, you know, a really great <laughs> oh. starting point for a conversation about, you know, what do you like <clears> throat> about throat> this narrative in their mind about anyone who, not that we were really engaging in any form of sex work, but that's sort of where the debate stems from, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have to be desperate to engage in something Mm -hmm. like that. Right, right. There's no agency. that there's absolutely no agency. And then a lot of people on the other side too were um, accusing us of taking advantage of all of these men. And I was like, oh, come on. You think that they're just these innocent men (laughs) who are being roped into paying women for dates? So it was, it was just a sort of bizarro time. And uh, it was, it was so, there's no real word for it. I have never been able to put it into words, but there, it was a mixture of like, darkness and anger and vulnerability and same time, like building myself a harder shell sort of all wrapped up into one. And then there were a lot of people who were coming uh, to our defense and having these really engaging conversations and who were um, talking about sex work and talking about agency and and talking about the film that I really appreciated. And um you know, at the the first few weeks after the film aired, those were obviously not the voices I could hear when I read all of that stuff online, but in hindsight, they're, they're the voices that I hear the most, so. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, it, it makes me think about something you mentioned earlier about um, sort of like the waitress and, uh, you know, like... You, you you have a performance that you make when you're when you're waiting on tables or or working as a bartender, let's say in a bar. Uh, and I mean, we could go to a restaurant. We could do self serve. There could be a kiosk machine that we get our food from when we sit down. But the the role of of it's a service role. The server, right? Like they mm-hmm. they're not they're not just there to bring you your food. They're also there to 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 essentially be a bit of a friend, even if it's just for an hour, you know, they're your server and they usually come in and they tell you their first name. And, uh, and I mean, if we're being honest, we, we tip well when that serve that aspect of the serve, service, the companionship part is good. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone came up and gave you a really good meal, but they did it with terrible attitude, you'd be like, they are a terrible server. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's just strange to me that, um, that there's this mindset that payment for companionship is, not whoa, we don't, we don't do that. But, but we, everyone does it. Everyone does it every time they go to a restaurant, but they justify it because, well, they have to bring me my food. And it's like, well, it, you could probably go get it from the kitchen yourself really honestly. I mean, yeah. now, now you're just saying that they're, they're a, a paid servant. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, <laughs> service is an interesting industry. And I always, I was, was a theater kid um and i felt like every service job i ever got the thing that made me go to my job was having grown up in theater and having been a trained actor and and knowing how to perform and working as a server is a really fucking hard job like you're on your feet for you know eight to ten hours you're running around you always break a sweat and the whole time you're doing these very strategic math games in your head. It's like one big puzzle. You're trying to get everything out in the right order. You have to memorize a bunch of stuff. You have to be able to carry a bunch of things at the same time. And the whole time while you're doing all of this very stressful Uh, duties, you have to do it with a smile and you have to be able to joke Mm. with people and you have to be able to connect with people. You have to be able to listen to what they need, pretend that their needs are serious. When we were out of avocado, people would be on like almost in tears over it and you had to turn it around or they were going to leave without tipping you. So you had to make them feel good about their meal, despite the lack of avocado and the injustice that that was to them at the time uh, and still make them happy and a lot of time people are hungry too so they're extra terrible um <laughs> so you become so- a, you
2: become kind of an amateur psychologist as well right you mm-hmm. read the table as, as you walk up to it reading body language reading you know facial expressions getting an understanding of the person that needs the most urgent care you know yeah. like you're triaging a table as you walk up to it
0: do they want to talk to you a lot do they not want to talk to you a lot do they have you know, concerns over the menu and ordering super stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And some people need so much care. Some people like get uncomfortable with being in a restaurant if their water cup has been emptied, you know, like it Mm -hmm. always needs to be full. Like, Like water doesn't exist unless it's on my table. So I felt like, you know, the role of sugar dating and sometimes even just the role of the filmmaker is you have to play a part and you have to, assess the situation for what it is and figure out what your role is in this scenario so that you can get the most positive outcome for you. And in service, it's a good tip. In sugar Mm -hmm. dating, it's an allowance. In filmmaking, it's, you know, subjects who are comfortable and who want to open up to you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, the reward on the other side when you're filmmaking too, is that you get to build a really great relationship with your subjects. You know, you're here for them. Mm -hmm. You're here to, hear their story and I never pick people I don't find interesting because I don't want to spend you know a year with someone telling the story of their life and and not liking them I want to pick people that I I desire their story I want what they have and and so I usually end up sort of viewing a lot of my subjects as just like a extra amazing person with an extra amazing story even when sometimes it's probably to some people, just a uh, regular ordinary, but to me, it's extraordinary.
2: Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Inviting people to podcasts. I always, <laughs> always wonder, We like, like to us, like the people we invite are, are people that we, we always want to hear from, like whether or not that's Stefan's invite or my invite. This is a reason that every podcast episode starts with Stefan, I'm so excited, you know, because I am legitimately yep. excited in that moment to speak to that person, you know, it doesn't matter how that hour ends up. You, you are our focus, you are our you know, you, you are our muse for this. We don't come up with questions before. You know what I mean? Like we, like I, I think of all these things now I want to ask when this started, I was like, you're a blank slate. I don't know who you are. And I mean, like I'm now, I'm now super stoked. Cause I, cause I keep thinking like, there's all these other, there are all these other things I want to know. And it's, I, I just, I love the idea that having spent time in the service industry that has, that has Set you off in such in such a good place when it comes to creating film, because of all the things you had to do on the fly, you know, and while remaining outside of it, like with like not putting yourself into it, going that bitch talk to me about you know guacamole, avocados, or what you know what I mean. (laughs) Like you you take yourself out of it and you go, I'm so sorry. I I I know I know I know I know I know what you mean. You know what I mean. At at the end of the day, you're like I don't give a shit about avocado right now.
0: You know. Yes, but you have to make sure that they believe that you do, you know. (laughs) And I think that there's something to be said for just sort of learning uh, how to hustle and do it with a smile uh, and, and working in film, you know? And I... I personally think that everyone should work in the service industry for minimum one year before they're allowed into any other workforce, yes. like post yep. after you graduate high school or college or university. After you, after you Do think you're done with job. school,
2: one it's year. Like-
1: It's like the military service that other countries have no you have to go and you You have to serve a plate
2: of food to somebody you have to you know like yeah i I think in
0: germany they have something like that where you have to work i think it's civil service you have to work in an old folks home or you have to work in garbage disposal or you have to work in for the city you have to do some sort of civil service Hmm. and i think it's a brilliant idea but civil service or service service because. People can also be really terrible to people who work in service, and
2: people can you know, be terrible just in general. They can I be think. terrible,
0: <laughs> but if you if you know if you can at least walk a year in a, in the shoes of someone in service, I think everyone will be a little bit. I have a
2: question there. about Fathom Film. If I, if yeah. I Fathom Film Fathom Films Fathom Film. So I'm looking at Fathom film group, but Fathom Fathom film Film. group. Okay.
0: Fathom. Sometimes we're just Fathom.
2: (laughs) I hardly know. I can barely plumb the depths. Um, (laughs) So as part of that group, I, I, like, when I'm looking at the the team, the team page, for instance, you talk about, you know, having been part of successful crowdfunding campaigns and you speak about crowdfunding campaigns specifically, but the defector, which was you're not a coworker, but a peer within the Fathom film group. Named Ann Shin, that's her film, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. you you as a group work together to help each other do your projects. It's not like you're independent makers that are under some umbrella. Like am I understanding that correct? We
0: work together almost like a production company so we'll put our energy into each other's projects and we will develop multiple projects at the same time and anyone mm. on our team can bring a project to the table and we do these fun creative pitch sessions where everyone just has to pitch whatever right and usually we try to come with five pitches each and many sessions, nothing comes of any of them, but every once in a while we have this session where that's a really amazing idea. And we put in the work and the effort and the energy to develop it. Um, And then we get something really cool on the other side. And sometimes people come to us with a project outside of the company that they've been working on for the last four years, five years, and they need to, they need to make it. They actually need to stop filming and filming and filming and see if they have a film together. And so we hmm. will work to help raise the money to actually get their film into edit and get their film made. And sometimes we just have an idea that we're really passionate about. And so we, we sort of share resources together. We raise money together. We don't do so much crowdfunding anymore because um, it's a great tool when you start, but it's a really it's an exhausting thing to raise yeah. money from crowdfunding. Well, because it's constant
2: management, right? Like crowdfunding Ooh. is a constant management thing, as opposed to like a grant or getting funding from other sources. It tends to be like a one drop method and results, yeah. you know? And
0: for most of you know, when you get a grant or you get a license and you get pre-sales on a documentary, the, everyone's buying into the same thing, which is the final product. But when you do a crowdfunding campaign, you then, yeah, you sort of manage the social through the whole whole way through uh you're dealing with a lot more people who have an invested interest in the project from really early on so if it takes longer than you said it was gonna take or if it's changed people are gonna have an opinion maybe and then you also have all of these prizes to give them which is not the film so i remember the first one we ever did i think we raised twenty thousand dollars which was amazing but we probably spent eight or nine thousand dollars just on making the prizes and then mailing them out. Right. And I was like, oh, this is not how we should do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the time no the time
2: managing it notwithstanding, right? Like eight oh, or nine yeah, thousand just on stuff, but
0: a full time job for probably like six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah,
2: it is it is an interesting an interesting aspect to filmmaking that I, I think a lot of people don't consider is, you know, it does sound like a great way to break into it. But once it's you get your feet great... under you, right?
0: It's a great way to break into it. It's a great way to get sort of seed money to start things off, um, but it is a huge job. So, I'm anytime anyone raises it now, I'm like, Are we sure we want to
1: do <laughs> that? <laughs> well, you um, think
2: back. You think back in the day, like like what Clerks was filmed on whatever ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars, and Kevin Smith is who he is now, or yeah. or like or the Blair Witch Project, totally you yeah. know, and, and, and the discussion is always like, this was, I borrowed 5,000 off my dad and he borrowed 5,000 off his dad and their yeah, mom old gave, school you know,
0: crowdfunding. Yeah.
2: That's what crowdfunding was, you know? And now yeah. it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. some guy in Germany's given us 10 bucks and that now I have to give him a pin, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, pin, the shipping the for a pin. Yeah, exactly. You know? My the wife has was, a Patreon and she, and she, you know, she, her, it's like a, it's, Fulfillment is easily one of the longest, most arduous parts of running that sort of thing. Like it's a constant battle to keep up. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. sending
0: something to Qatar and it was like a poster. And so it was in this huge box Whoops. and I and had the to tube. the tube and there was a couple other things. I think there was an original piece of art in there too. And I paid like 60 bucks to send it to Qatar. And this guy probably i can't remember but it was way more money to mail it than it was worth <laughs> and then after like a month the box came back to our office like beat up as shit retaped six or seven times i was like i don't i don't know how we're going to get this to this person if it isn't going to get there by mail i have no
2: Cost
1: idea less
0: to fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much i should have bought it a seat on an airplane yeah sent a limo to pick it up yeah
1: (laughs) deliver it by hand
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i should have just gone to (laughs) the here
1: you go (laughs) bye now
0: this poster that's gonna collect us in the basement probably
1: and so so
2: are are you now like as as a member of this larger team do do you feel you're you're wearing a, a lot of different hats as opposed to i'm a filmmaker you're also like a fundraiser a producer a writer you know all that stuff
0: Oh, it honestly all feels like the same thing to me. So I wish, I think- I
2: wish we do were doing video and not just audio because the eye roll with that was like, oh, you know, like the big <laughs> sigh, the lead we in, the lead back. We do it all.
0: We do, it, do all. it all. You don't know.
2: You don't, you and don't I know. think
0: that is the documentary film way. Um, we did hire someone to help with the business affairs um, about a year ago. And holy crap, we did like when COVID hit, I think we did like three or four years of taxes that were just like, there's just so much admin because every project is its own business basically. So they all have their own set of books and their own taxes right. that have to be filed. So we were able to do a lot of admin catch up, which was actually very cleansing for me. <laughs> I was like waking up in the middle of the night, that sweet, sweet 4 a.m. wake up where your brain is like, Did you sign that thing and send Did you it to this place? you... Remember to answer that mm. thing in that portal, you know? <laughs> um, so
1: yeah there's there's two versions of that there's the the panicked version where you you're pretty sure you forgot and then there's the i'm prepared to do everything now because i'm wide awake and i have an <laughs> extra yeah i got so much extra time by getting up at 4 a.m
0: <laughs> yeah what <laughs> yeah. even is sleep who knows uh, so we do it all yeah i when you're a documentary film you just don't end up with these you know 100 person teams with mm-hmm. 20 mm-hmm. people in the head office it's just, for the most part so it's Anne and i at the core and then we uh, work with people we hire writers we hire editors we hire cinematographers and um, we hire creatives to help bring projects to life but Yeah, we we do all the fundraising. We do all the funding applications. We do all the pitching. Before the pandemic, I was somewhere new every month. I was always on an airplane and it was to go to these pitching conferences that exist all over the states and all over Europe. And at first I was like, this is the best. I'm going to France and then I'm going to Germany and then I'm going to go to Japan. So many miles. I just want to go home and I want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. want my skin to be so like dried out from the airplane. I felt like I would aged five or six years over the course of one year mm. flying that often. But that's what, what it takes. You know, we want to get projects off the ground. You have to get them in front of people and you have to, you have to pitch them in person and you have to give them a face. It's and that's something. what
2: those, and that's what those events are. You, you come and you, you have like a Bristol board with, like a science fair kind of thing but with your real <laughs> you know like, <laughs> and you go it kind of yeah
0: it's a lot of i need funded dating yeah a lot of speed <laughs> dating. So you come you've got all these packages and you they sit down and these they give you 10 minutes per person and you pitch your project at them or oh, okay. pitch three or four yeah. at them and if they like it then you have a face-to-face and they always have events afterwards where then you get drunk together so and
1: and again another situation where that that whole you know putting on a performance and trying to get buy-in from someone uh, for your project yes you show up
0: jet-lagged right off the airplane mm -hmm. and you have to give them as much passion and clarity about the project as you possibly can and it's usually you're 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 pulling out that thing that you felt when the project was first pitched to you. You know, when you first heard about this story, when you first landed on it and you had this great moment where you're like, wow, that's a good story. Mm. You have to you have to figure out how to package that within yourself so that you can Mm. tap into it every time you're talking to someone and you can give them this uh the same inspiration that you had when you first found or heard yeah. of this story yeah
2: it's interesting it's, it's interesting when you think you when you watch uh press junkets for movies and the, and the celebrity is being asked the exact same question they've been asked a dozen times and you can watch them as the soul slowly drips out of their body because they, yeah. they're like do i really need to answer that question one yes i like my co-star yes she <laughs> was great yes I enjoyed the story. Uh, how did I get the script? It was delivered to me by my agent. You know, like, and there's this there's this whole thing where they're actors and they they tend to react in a way that is you know, although dead-eyed, they can they can have this enthusiasm and, and that must be sort of the same thing for the filmmaker just trying to sell it. Like, all you want to do is go, look, I'm so tired. Could you just could you just, just look at the thing? I don't want to talk about it anymore. Here's a, here's a video of me being excited about it eight months ago. That person is super stoked, you know? Like, yeah. Not, instead mean, of like, oh.
0: It's what separates the, the good projects from the bad though, is when mm. after the, the 60th time you're pitching it, you still, you still feel the pain as it comes out of your mouth. You're still like, oh, it's a good story, you know? Yeah.
2: So you want to share it like it. you, you mm-hmm. need it to be shared, right? Like yeah. that is the, but I am like, Oh,
0: come on. Just cut a check is usually. Mm-hmm. Less like... <laughs> trust me. <laughs> trust me. You want to give me your money.
1: But, but how much of it, how much of it is actually also selling yourself? Like, I mean, um, uh, you know, in my experience with projects, it you know, there's definitely the majority of, of the pitch is about, is this a good project? But part of it is also, are these the people that, can make that project happen so should we fund them to make this project and also do we want to work with these people yes. so when you go when you go and you pitch something to someone you're pitching yourself as much as you are the project
0: always yeah you i mean you are your reputation in a lot of ways mm-hmm. too so uh yeah you do you have to sell who you are and and a lot of the time that gets sold within the pitch you know as you're pitching mm-hmm. it but We're lucky that we've had a lot of work, and we've gotten a lot of projects off the grounds, and we've gotten a lot of projects in film festivals, and so we can sort of um, present our laurels, if you will, and uh, sell ourselves a little bit that way. But you know, we're a small company, and we're growing with every project that we get off the ground, and and we think a lot about what types of projects we want to make. I think I was saying something like this earlier but really deciding where where our energy needs to be focused Mm -hmm. so that we're making the things that we want to make so that at the end of the day when we are pitching or trying to sell uh, one of our films to someone that we know everything on our slate is is building towards this film and then Mm -hmm. everything when you put that into the sort of into the bank as well everything is building towards the next one and so that we are continuously on a path that we are forging and we're not just grasping at random films from every which direction but we're making things that feel like they're of our voice and that they're the type of stuff that we want to make and that it, it does have our heart in it no matter how many times we have to pitch it yeah.
2: and, and, and i mean there is a difference between hannah donegan aspiring filmmaker and hannah donegan multi award winning filmmaker.
0: <laughs> a little difference, yeah. I didn't little, quite count it, tiny. but yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I said multi award winning. I just the, assume
0: we have all the awards, yeah. No, all, the awards. <laughs> all the awards. All the awards, you name it.
2: Are lined.
0: <laughs> yeah. But there uh, are there are great programs if you want to be in a, if you are an aspiring filmmaker, there are a lot of great programs for first time filmmakers. And it's a, you know, that's sort of how you start the path, right? You get on this path and you start forging it your own way. And it's usually through some of these programs. So building on whatever it is you're doing and and making sure you feel good about all the projects that you're working on Mm -hmm. and all the films you want to make and all of the creative endeavors you want to pour everything into
2: well this is a full circle full circle moment then when you decided you were going to make the you're like i'm going to do this about sugar dating i'm going to make this film where did you initially did you just start and then start looking for where you would shop it around or had you did you shop the idea first and then and then start making the, the film
0: we shopped the idea. So we pitched it at CBC and they said, that sounds interesting. And what we did after that was we put together a, like we filmed a little five minute thing that was sort mm-hmm. of the entire concept distilled into five minutes. And um, we wrote up a treatment package, uh, which was sort of a vision of how the film would be and all of the, you know, our approach to making the film and, what some of the storylines that we were going to follow or what our intention was going to be to follow some of the Mm -hmm. storylines. And then we pitched that sort of more fulsome package at them. Once we knew that they were already had, they said, no, that's not for us. We would not have put that work into it. But when, when they say, Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. That's usually uh, just sort of like a crack in the door where you then do all the work that you can to actually get the door open. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and they, uh, they then gave us a commission for the film. So we, we got that commission and we started filming pretty much right away. And I think we got the commission November 2015 and the film was on TV October, 2016. So I'm, I mm. did not have a a lot of time to make it happen, but I am pretty proud of what we did make happen in that time.
2: And that initial meeting you had with the CBC was that through an end that you had with someone or was that like a generalized application you made?
0: That was through someone that we knew. Um, someone had just gotten a job at CBC and they mm. were a producer and Anne knew them uh, from okay. the industry. They were a documentary producer and, and um, the Defector came out in 2013. And then in 2014, we started working on a film called My Enemy, My Brother. And it was a short 20 minute film and that was released in 2015 um, and it did really well. It was bought okay. by the New York Times OpDocs and we got an Emmy nomination for it and it was on the Oscar shortlist. So we had a bit of sail in our wind sure. and in sure. our wind, is that even an expression? Sail under our wind? Sure, wind under our sail? <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
2: Seven, seven um, bottles of nine to 12,
0: <laughs> eight, seven. Yeah. Horse so, and water. Yeah. Uh. So while the film was doing its festival circuit, we got to meet a lot of really great people. We got to meet a lot of people um, who were commissioning from the CBC. And so, yeah, it was through a a personal connection. And again, it was something, it wasn't the start. It was just a big big stepping stone in and on. Yeah,
2: I think anybody could admit that a personal connection does not necessarily guarantee anything. So I mean- having the person go no that is a good idea you know that's very helpful obviously oh yeah
0: and we pitch a (laughs) lot of stuff like we will pitch we we go into development on tons of different stuff just because we think it's a good idea and nobody cares nobody buys it so for every like 10 to 15 things we pitch one gets off the ground so it's you know we're constantly churning and thinking and reading and interviewing and hearing people's stories and hearing about other people's films mm-hmm. and, and seeing where we're needed and seeing what stories we can tell and, and who wants to hear them.
2: The, the thing I wanted to ask was, and, and I mean, the, the impetus behind the podcast was specifically about things that we thought of, or that we thought had value that couldn't, we couldn't get off the ground. And, and I mean, you saying like, oh, we pitch maybe 15 mm-hmm. to get one, you know, I, that really triggers, want an emotional response in me but you know it it triggers one of those things where I'm like oh well then I have to ask like what what hasn't happened that you really you you see the value in it like you're just like I want to make this so bad and what has like you you pitched it and and people went no what no never not ever no (laughs) has there ever been has there been any of those that you have been super passionate about but just no one else can react nobody else reacts in the same way
0: that's a good question. I I mean there's tons of, of stuff that we pitch that just doesn't it doesn't fly for whatever reason. There's one series that I was really, really hoping was gonna happen and it was all about stray dogs. I wanted to follow the like POV of stray dogs um, that travel from different countries and come to Canada because hmm. Toronto has no local strays. So pretty much all the dogs in Toronto and the surrounding areas, either come from Northern Ontario, Northern Quebec, or the Southern United States or the Caribbean. You'll Mm -hmm. see dogs here from, you know, Istanbul and dogs from Cairo, dogs from Korea, from the, from the meat trade. Uh, So I was like, what? you know, it's so interesting that we bring on all these dogs from all over the world and they have no idea what's going on these dogs mm-hmm. you know like they they go step by step totally scared or just completely unsure or rolling with the punches and they have no idea that at the other end of this is some like a literal dog bed in a cushy home with someone who is going to coo at them all day long so i wanted to make a series i want, to ma- I want you to make this i want you to
2: make this this <laughs> right? is this is a good this is a heartwarming story it's a
0: heartwarming story so i Whoa. i mean i still i'm still in many ways trying but it's the kind of thing where i've pitched it it's so many places and i got quite far with national geographic i made it sort of to the internal pitch and then it passed the internal pitch and they brought it to just like a, a higher up every every broadcaster is different so i don't usually know what goes on and, right, yeah, um, until yeah, it comes back down to me and they say yes or no um but they they just decided that it was it was a no go it was too i can't remember the word they said but it was it was too two... here to join me.
1: <laughs> oh, puppy.
0: Um, they thought it was like the POV of the dog, they thought it was just too. They wanted something for like daytime TV. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember uh, the word that mm. they used, but.
2: So it, I... it, it shifted the focus to the people adopting the people fostering I did try to like, shift
0: the focus to someone i had enough. someone who was sort of she had a place in down in costa rica and she was sort of actively going mm-hmm. out and people call her and she would go get a dog with a broken leg or she would go help someone you know who's found a litter of puppies under their truck and she would help them and bring them back to her farm and and clean them up and get rid of their fleas and their mange and fix their broken wounds and broken legs and um, and then send them all over the world, but it was just a little. I think it wasn't light enough. I think is the ultimate
2: well, thing, and yeah. it's so hard when
0: it's like, oh, but I, I want the light at the end of the
2: show. tunnel is where you're. You know, it's funny, like because because you tend to focus on on the 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 pay the payout, right? Like you tend mm-hmm. to focus on this is what happens. This is amazing, but. There are a lot of people and we're, I mean, we're in this mode right now where we're focusing really exclusively on the negative of what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that the person who went, oh, I don't know, that's pretty negative. They're only looking at the start. They're only looking at the meat market or the, these mangy animals that are in, you know, dire straits that have to be nursed back to health over the course of time. But you're going, but, 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 you know, <laughs> look at, look at, it, look at this. But look what at I mean? what
0: happens. Yeah. Look this at this. Look at this. Oh. rubia here came from the dominican republic she had vagina cancer and they gave her chemo and she ended up on an airplane and came to toronto and was in foster a foster home and i just randomly met her um and thought oh oh crap i have to have this dog i really need this
2: see and see she,
0: like the light of my freaking life i love her Insane. so much
2: that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm saying <laughs> this is a this is a gotta get done get done.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's not it's not dead in the water, but I've pitched it kind of everywhere and I got a bunch of different notes. Well I think different...
2: it's a great idea. And... It makes for it makes for a great testimonial Thank you. Uh, online thing. Because there are lots of people like you, you know, that are doing this exact thing and having their stories told, even if it was like UGC, you know what I mean? Like user generated content. Like it has it has the sort of thing that could be a community based production as opposed yes, to a totally. full full on documentary. Tell us your story about yeah. your, main yeah. you hmm. your major mutt.
0: Your major mutt. Well, yeah, and, and my version of this series is definitely following the the dog's POV. So you start yeah, on the streets, then into captivity and sort of see how they just have no idea what's coming for them on the other side. They've yeah. had a rough life. Sorry,
2: um, it's it's our habit. It's it's the it's the Stefan and Hugh can't sell this podcast. Where we instantly evolve that idea to something that possibly could sell because we want it to yeah. sell so bad.
1: But I no, know. no, no, Your
2: idea is—I love the POV <laughs> aspect. I love the idea that this, this this animal is not having a good time, and then we'll have such a great time. And it's, yeah,
0: it's, well, it, I like your great. idea like too. The user-generated content as well. Like I—I watch dog stuff on the yours, internet pretty yours much for free as <laughs> long as it gets done. In
2: my mind, like just get it done, and then you can go with the POV. Like just get that interest, get that groundswell of support. I'm all stoked to me
0: okay i, kind of, I feel
1: <laughs> newly invigorated uh, but it does it, it this does
2: this. potentially tie it off pretty good i think i don't know Stefan. what do you think
1: i think so i mean i think this has been a fascinating interview oh, Anna, thanks so much for it. being on the show oh,
0: my pleasure thanks I for mean, having me
1: it was great to hear about your experiences and the projects that you've worked on and uh and i'm so glad that you actually did get to share Um, the project that didn't get made (laughs) (laughs) this episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott Intro voice by Jeff Wright Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at sellthispodcast.com. Any other information can be found at can't sell this